0: Great. Here we go. Hi, everybody. It's Friday. And that means we're having another conversation about improv. And we've been doing this for, I don't know, a month or so now. And it's just been an informal conversation. But we decided maybe we should name it. So I think we're going to name this thing Inside Improv, where we talk about uh, things that, that are a little inside baseball for the, <laughs> the uh, average person, but that are interesting to us as improvisers and theater managers, uh, especially the business side. I'm so excited. Today we have John Carr here, the executive producer at Second City, who is going to help us turn some of our pure conjecture about <laughs> <laughs> Second City's future uh, into an actually informed conversation. Uh, oh, great! Here comes uh, another John. Speaking of a lot of Johns yes.
1: in the so world. So many Johns. Uh, and I haven't told you all that John is my middle name. So there you go. There we go. What? And let's add him. John is your middle name. Yes.
0: Great. Here he is. Hey. 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 hey, hey, hey. hey, hey. Bridgie,
1: hey. hey.
0: We were just getting started. I was just intro in the show and starting to introduce everybody. Um, John Carr, what are some things that uh, people should should know about you? What's your background? Where'd you start? Just a little quick overview, and we'll get more in depth.
2: Sure. Um, so here's the fast bio. Um, I was homeschooled by traveling Christian clowns, um, <laughs> and we went around the country doing clowns and puppetry. And that's how I started getting into art and theater. Moved out to Atlanta, Georgia and discovered an amazing theater called Dad's Garage Theater and was a performer, writer, director for about 20 years. Um, I won a Susie Bass Award for a scripted play that I wrote. And then I became executive producer of Second City in December. And that's John Carr in a nutshell.
0: Wow. I have a million questions
1: based on that. I'm stuck uh, at the traveling sounds. Yes. I am so we need to have a whole conversation about that. For sure. Well,
0: uh, we'll come back to it. Let's get everybody introduced, and then we'll dig in. Uh, John G, you want to introduce yourself? We'll go around.
3: Yeah, I was in a traveling Christian puppet (laughs) (laughs) rock band. Uh, A little different. A little different. Uh,
2: Never met uh, anybody else in it. (laughs) I know.
3: I know. (laughs) Uh, No, I uh, Twin Cities comedian based, and I work at a huge theater. Um, Yeah, that's that's pretty much in a nutshell.
0: Fantastic.
1: Welcome. Thanks for being here, Elise. I am Elise Rodriguez, and I am based out of, I really don't know where at the moment, but I am an improviser, and a teaching artist, and a former attorney, (laughs) and I have a podcast called The Elise and John Show. John, do you have a podcast called The Elise and John Show?
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, 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 yes, yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah,
2: cool.
0: Yeah. John Carr, do you have a podcast called the Elise and John Show?
2: <laughs> uh, yes, ironically. <laughs> that's nothing to do with anybody that's on here, but yeah.
0: <laughs> awesome, awesome. Great. Welcome, welcome. Thanks for being here, Elise and
4: Joe Bill. Hi, Joe Bill, internationally touring uh, non Christian improviser teacher, uh, <laughs> currently uh, in a living application to ride shotgun for wherever Stacey Holol wants to drive. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, you got a lot going on. Okay. Uh, great. So now we need to get back to. Uh, traveling with clown, traveling clown <laughs> ensemble. I yeah. can't go un, unexplored. Uh, so wait, where, yeah. where were you? Where did you start before the traveling? Was it uh, a base, a home base?
2: Yeah, um, I, I was born and raised in Los Angeles. Um, we lived in like Inglewood, California, that area.
0: Okay, great. Yeah. And, and uh, so it was uh, clowns and puppets or just clowns?
2: Oh, no, we did clowns, uh, puppets, and illusions, not magic shows, illusions, uh, because <laughs> magic is from the devil. Um, That's right. So we <laughs> yeah, oh so God. we did Christian <laughs> illusions. Um, but yeah, because.
0: Specifically <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. oh, be oh Christian God. illusions.
4: <laughs> I want there to yeah. be an improv group Christian called illusions. Christian illusions. <laughs> 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 yeah. <laughs>
1: Um, <laughs> I just need to confirm, this is not a bit
2: No, no, this is, this is I will show you pictures later on of my family um, but the idea was that like, it was in the 90s so it was a combination of things um, I grew up mm-hmm. in like Inglewood, California in the 90s and so that was like the height of gangs, c- bloods crips, that sort of thing and so that and another other reasons, my parents decided to homeschool my brother and I and then um, we started, they got involved with church, started doing puppets, and basically in the 90s, there were like a bunch of these like super huge non-denominational like mega church rallies where you'd have like a 1,000 people in a dome somewhere, but you had to do something with the kids. And so they would put them in the bottom floor and me, my brother, and my mom and dad would entertain 500 children for you know, two and a half hours. If the Holy Spirit hit three hours, um, while uh, they were the adults were upstairs um, learning about Jesus, and so we went around the country doing these types of shows.
0: That is amazing. That is awesome. Wow! Whew. And then did you did you go to college? Did you study theater in a formal background?
2: <laughs> um, no. So I really kind of um, that was my introduction to theater and arts which is always interesting because i would never call what we did arts, but it was at hundred percent improv and sketch writing mm-hmm. and you know performance that we were just doing and my parents were very big about like me and my brother coming up with our own bits and doing that sort of mm-hmm. thing so we were coming up doing that and the funny thing is it wasn't until like i started performing at dad's garage and doing like stuff there that i was like you know what i should probably get a degree so then i got a degree in like marketing because i'm like one day i'm gonna have to make real money um but um i just but i kept doing art for as long as i can and it still has been paying the bills and so that's uh that's kind of where it's been and it's really just been the experience of doing improv and it's weird because like improv is such a different format than any other art form like you have to do improv and sketch to really understand how there's there's not a lot of great you know colleges that are teaching like improv as a degree so you got to get and do it
0: yeah, and and your background was kind of I think of improv as a fringe art form because it's newer yeah. and weirder and, uh, <laughs> and that's your, your background uh, and then dad's Oh, what a great place. Those are some of my favorite humans, one of my favorite organizations. It's going to be a whole new phase now that you've moved on and Laura's moving on. Uh, So it'll be great to see where that goes next. But the thing I love about Dads, much like Rapid Fire in Edmonton, is it has a long legacy of Mm -hmm. uh, different artistic directors coming in. And it hasn't been that one person in control for 30 years. Uh, Yeah,
2: it's that's a that's a huge thing, because like, you know, Sean Daniels, who's the first artistic director, he wrote this great piece that dad's garage was started to for to make theaters for 20 year olds. And he had this moment where he was like, well, how can I be a forty year old trying to make theater for 20 year olds? I should probably step back and let the next generation take over. And he did that. And it's been this kind of tradition. It's almost like the presidency. You know, every couple of years, you pass down the artistic director role to the next generation. So you're always finding fresh new ideas and new takes on the work that you're doing. And I think that's super important wherever you go.
0: Yes, which leads us to Second City. Uh, it's a perfect segue, both in your chronology, but also in this topic that that Second City is a place that had the same executive producer, the same casting uh, team forever, Uh mm-hmm. And, and I, I tend to think that the places that I've seen that have been the ones that have gotten behind in um, equity. Frankly, yeah. uh, um, as the largest problem with with just staying there for too long and uh, and embedding a lot of systemic um, sexism and, and racism within the system, unconsciously. yucky. No, i good. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And they're good I'm people. Sorry. Like that's the thing is, like I've met you know the people there, and I've spent time in Second <laughs> City. I learned a lot at Second City. But also when I got to Chicago, the first thing that happened at Second City was they were um, reducing the casts on the touring companies because they were having lower sales. And they uh, cut a woman from each one because the sketches used to be three men, two women. And so they were like, oh, we'll just go back to what it was uh, because those were the sketches and those are the archives that we're digging into. Without considering that that might be a sexist choice.
2: Well, I think the cool thing is that we just have such an amazing team right now. I think, you know, it's kind of been weird because, you know, the pandemic's happened. And so we haven't had as much, you know, direct one-on-one contact with as many of our performers and frankly, the outside community. Um, But I think what's important is like the people that we have on staff, like you would not recognize the um leadership staff here it's it's so different and so cool and the the vibe around here and it's it's, it's weird for me because i've been in this position for three months so i can't really talk to like uh, the vibe of it like a year or two years or five years ago but like i can talk about the vibe right now and it is absolutely this place where people are supportive and they're excited and it's also like we've also felt like we've been stuck inside for a year right right so the idea of like we were we we're talking about like getting to, starting like oh schedule for rehearsals and like the idea of like a schedule for rehearsals holy mm-hmm. cow that's <laughs> awesome it's so excited to think about rehearsing um, mm-hmm. and yeah. so like so it, that kind of feel and excitement and just um, uh, and also like uh, there's also this vibe of like we get to create second city 2.0. Like that's a, that's an exciting thing with a bunch of people that are, you know, most of the folks that are here have been here for like a year, two years now. And they're they are, everyone's hungry to prove themselves on the leadership team and hungry to like show like the work we've been doing, like so much work internally. And so we're just ready to like show show it off to everyone because it's going to be really cool.
0: Has it been an upside for you that the pandemic has slowed things down so that you could focus on reevaluating some of the infrastructure and planning moving forward?
2: Yeah, I mean, a hundred percent. I mean, even down to like the, the organizational chart, like not just the human beings that are in those positions, but like how the organizational chart is arranged is different than it was, you know, a year ago. Cause the idea is like fundamentally How can we change um, how things are done? And frankly, with this sale is only kind of supported the work that we've already done. And so that's been like a really exciting part of it is uh, getting to see all these kind of pieces fall into place as we kind of had this vision and then we're kind of seeing it go. And, you know, I gotta give a lot of credit to Anthony LeBlanc as well, who uh, was the interim um, artistic director who did a lot of this work um, before me. And like, we both kind of like had the same idea. And so it's just kind of picking up where he left off and continuing that run has been super exciting.
0: And he was the first black director of a Second City mm-hmm. main stage
1: show, is not that right?
2: I believe that's correct, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, he's great. I have a, I have a question about, uh, I'm wondering, cause you mentioned how much turnover positively there was at Dad's Garage. So you must've had a system, right? Like a system for turnover?
2: For, I, I mean, cast or staff?
1: Staff. So you said that you would have alternating uh, or, or rotating, I guess you would say, better work, yeah. uh, artistic directors.
2: Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it, I don't think that it was like, we didn't have an official rotating directors. It was more of, mm-hmm. you know, people, our artistic directors usually stayed around about five to 10 years. That was kind of, mm-hmm. I think Kevin stayed for 10 years, and that was like the longest run an artistic director had ever had at DADS. And so mm-hmm. this, so we didn't have a like definitive, these are the rules. It was more like a tradition and embedded in um, mm-hmm. just the culture of being able to say like, rather than be like, just to be able to pan power down and say, I don't have to have it all the time.
0: And, even and her- shout out to... To Kevin, I was about to say, he, yeah. he he took the he took dads to a new space. And so that I think extended that time where, you know, where he might yeah, have naturally yeah.
1: left. Uh,
2: exactly. We're in a big transition I wonder, period.
1: The reason why I'm asking is because I'm so curious. And, and I guess this also applies to you coming into Second City, right? I'm so curious as to how it's received by cast and such when there is a change in artistic direction, because most of the time, not most of the times, I know of a few times where a change in artistic direction has made everyone like at least performers kind of be like, Oh gosh, what's going to happen? What's going on? How long is this going to take? How long is this transition going to take? So I wonder, I wonder Um, if you have any insight on that having been a part of a place where it changes often.
2: Yeah. I I think it's that it, for dads, at least I can speak to dads, I feel like mm-hmm. it was, there wasn't a whole lot of apprehension because the way that we had traditionally done it is that there was a lot of um, grooming for that next generation. Like there is, it was, it tended to be people who are already connected to dads that uh, were kind of moving up into that space and usually younger folks. And so people kind of already had a good um knowledge of who the person was so like for me moving in to that spot like everybody knew who i was everybody knew the type of person that i was and kind of my reputation around the theater as being you know a nice fair guy and so mm-hmm. it was less of apprehension about what we were doing theatrically and more about helping people to not see me as their little brother because that's the thing about, you know, improv. People kind of see you the same way they saw you the first time they yeah. met you. And I, you know, I there's a lot of folks there that are, are in leadership that I was, you know, we were all in the same, you know, level three class together. And so they still remember me as like the the punk kid who like to enter scenes by kicking down a door, regardless of what the scene was about. I just like entering <laughs> scenes that way. And so they're like, all right, so now this guy's the, the artistic director of the theater. And I'm like, yes, but I've gotten better over 50 years. Oh, I, don't, I don't- John, do the do kick-down-the-door guy? <laughs> You're telling me to kick down the kick-down-the-door guy <laughs> is gonna be the director? <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah, but that kicking down the door thing is probably a, a good legacy to have in these uh, coming into this new gig. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: Absolutely, yeah.
0: And yeah. they spent. I think the other nice thing. I think he's. I think Kevin was able to spend some time with you in that transition too, uh, and it wasn't like a two weeks I'm out, two weeks you're in, right? Um, yeah,
2: no, he absolutely set me up for success in that role um, because even because he was stepping down because he was ready to kind of try the next adventure in life so he knew in advance that he was going to be stepping down so he really spent a lot of time with me even before he stepped down like not just kind of giving orders from the artistic director's spot but also telling me the why and explaining what he was doing and so i i think it's that why portion that helps you kind of understand what the position is and how it works and And that was super helpful for me as I kind of learned what we're doing. And then, you know, just the realities of leadership. And it's it's, I I wish it was a magical place where you have all the power and you can just be like, do my season, my minions. But it's never that simple. It's never that easy. And frankly, picking a season is like 5% of the job. The rest of it is the non-fun stuff. But you do because you get an opportunity. If you do it well and you do it right. You create a f- safe and fun and easy place for people to play.
0: Well, and Dad's is interesting, too, in in filling your position. Uh, you know, I have learned a little bit uh, from that description. And Dad's is very uh, player-empowered. And it sounds like the artistic director's job is to coordinate and administrate the process by which everyone gets to share their opinions and feed in and pitch their ideas and then how that gets sorted. Uh, So you're, you're very much representing the voice of the whole ensemble. Would you say that's accurate perception?
2: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. But I think that's also one of the weird things about dad's garage specifically because like when Kevin took over the annual budget for dad's garage was $300,000 a year. When Kevin left, The annual budget was $2 million a year. And so we saw this huge growth, but what that did is it actually changed the job. It changed the artistic director job because up to that point, he'd been, he could be the the leader on stage, right? If we're doing a theater sports, he could, you know, be in charge and run things, but he'd also have time to jump into a theater sports or jump into a game and all that. But when you got to that size, like then it became, okay, so little of my time is actually doing the art and so much Mm -hmm. of my time is about administrating and it, and there is, as you kind of grow as an organization, you know, the leadership, you, you, it it becomes less and less fun and more and more paperwork, but it's important that paperwork part is important because that lets other people have the fun and do the shows and all that kind of stuff. So it was, it was a real learning experience for him and a learning experience for all of us as we kind of learned how, size changes the uh, ecosystem of that that art.
0: Absolutely. And then you start to get more and more of a rift between the administration and the players because they can't just tell you something in the green room and remind (laughs) you right before you walk on a show.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, here's the funny thing, though. You're right. And it's also where the problems lie, right? Mm -hmm. Because if you're still trying to run... Uh, a big theater the way that you run a small improv group, what happens is you get that situation where somebody catches you in a green room and tells you something or something like that and then you work on it but what you start realizing is oh, the people that are catching me in the green room are all a certain type of person, right? And all of a sudden all my decisions are reflecting a certain type of person because there's no policy behind how, how you pitch an idea, right? If it's just catch me in the green room, then certain people that are feel more comfortable in that green room are gonna be there more often. And you, you start seeing all these things that you would never think about and that's where the bias slips in. That's where the, the yeah. issues um, come in because you don't have rules. And I think that's, that's the, the um, not fun part of it is like you know DEI work is 20% what people see in like casting shows, making sure those are safe. And that's great. But the other part of it is all the rules and policies that you have to make because you have to make it equitable. You have to you can't just assume that I'll fly by the seat of my pants and it'll work out because that's where the biases comes in. And so that's a lot of the work that we've been doing that, again, isn't fun and sexy and great, but like sitting down and writing policies, writing out what these rules are so that we can be transparent is a major part of that.
0: Great. Yeah. Velvet Wells is commenting on uh, your astute recognition of unconscious bias. And we had, we had. Uh, touched on that a little bit about when you don't have a plan, you're doing what's in front of your face. You're hearing only from who's right in front of your face. And, you Mm -hmm. know, uh, John Gebertatios, you're, you know, I think of huge and dads as the leaders in the improv community in terms of a lot of DEI work that everyone else, including me, catching up uh, Mm -hmm. on. Do do you find uh, truth in this idea of, of planning and policy and um, you know, clear, I think it's like setting clear expectations and paths of communication.
3: Yeah, it is, uh, extremely important. And even, even those sometimes aren't enough, um, but yeah, we see it happen lots of times. Um, yeah, it's hard, it's hard to have an inclusive situation based on a whole bunch of handshakes deals because, um, (laughs) you want to you want to have something to kind of like rest your head on and and it also gives the entire community um something to stand on too right they like they know there's accountability in place whether or not they love it or, or hate it, it it is something to like stand on you, you got to start somewhere and uh yeah it's good to have uh yeah not just a vision but just like also like maybe bumper rails so so you can kind of like mm-hmm. you know they mm-hmm. stay the track because it, it's it's scary. you just like free following. Yeah. So it's very easy to follow.
0: <laughs> Something that is just popping into my head uh, that we do at Curious mm. is I survey people a lot. I solicit feedback a lot. Uh, and I think there are times and places for anonymous surveys, but I prefer people to share their names if I can make them feel safe enough uh, because I think if you have an anonymous survey and you find out that like 80% of people feel a certain way, then you can tend to dismiss the other. 20%. And you're just like, oh, I'm just Mm -hmm. going with this majority. But if you get a survey, you may find that the 20% on the edges are actually representing a position, a point of view uh, that is marginalized in your numbers. And so you're actually... So having a name on it, you can follow up on those people and say, how can I make room for this perspective? Or sometimes people just need a little more information or need a little reassurance. Is that something that makes sense to the two of you? Either of you? Oh, yeah.
2: A hundred percent. Yeah.
0: It's just funny. Sorry, go ahead, John.
3: No, no. uh, Yeah. But it's, it's always way more nuanced. But generally, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Definitely. I mean, well, right. Also it. Yeah, it's. I feel like I hear. I. That's what I was thinking too. Like in terms of its nuance, because uh, it does tie back to what you said earlier, which is like, hope we hope that it's a safe space for somebody to want to be like, yeah, this is what I think, right? Yeah. Other, yeah. other, otherwise they might be like, well, if I say something, then I there's going to be negative effects or negative consequences from that. Yeah. I feel like it's like like, like always it's a catch 22. It's like, it's like, it's, it's difficult either way for sure. Go ahead, John Carr.
2: Oh yeah. I was going to say like, I a hundred percent agree because there's always like, like uh, when you have those kind of survey things, someone says something and you're like, Oh, that's a great insight. I want to know more about it. And then if they don't have a name, you're kind of stuck and you don't know how to do it. Or if someone is, you know, put something in there maybe they thought it was casual, but you hear that. And I'm like, that's a real problem. I need to really dig into that problem. But if you don't have a name on it, it's, it's tough to like follow up. And you're kind of just like, I hope this person will reach out someday. And so there has to be that balance of like, what's going to be useful and helpful and keep people safe. A hundred percent people safe and feel comfortable. But like, yeah, I, like I think, people don't always value their opinion as much as they should. And like, there are times in leadership that I've had surveys where someone said something and they made it just offhand. And I'm like, I want to know more about that. I want to dig deeper into it.
0: Yeah. Uh,
3: I'll give it, an example. I'll yeah. give an example. Cause this might sound like what we're talking about. is just kind of theoretic. Who knows? Right. Okay. One time we got an anonymous uh, thing and it was pretty much, it was, uh, it was a pretty, it was pretty much, like a comment about I think the the programming was uh like it was like great things are looking diverse there but when are we gonna get some more black and brown people on that stage essentially that it was like the term clapback was used I don't even remember all of it uh (laughs) but you get the gist of it right somebody was like here's your little cookies great job but but not good enough I want I want more now right now and so no name. We didn't have no you know, idea about we have guesses of who it could have been in the community, but nobody it's anonymous. So you can't go to that person like John's talking about. You can't say, hey, sit down. Let's talk about it. What what are you talking about um, specifically? Uh-huh. You can't do that. So you kind of just go, well, if somebody does feel that way, now I have to look at a couple of options. One, no responding. Right. Uh, two, the other option is to respond um by taking like responsibility and saying hey we got this feedback and we're just gonna just take Mm -hmm. it at face value and be transparent say okay well here's here's our response to that without having to feel like we're on trial you know and so that's where it's always like it's it's just it's a weird awkward dance you know or the third response is uh you burn everything down which is always <laughs> on the table. You can always do
1: that. <laughs> you gotta have that one. I think that that's why representation, like on leadership in leadership, representation is so important because I think people are more inclined to to be, to say their names or to or to give clear actual feedback as who they are if there's representation in a leadership space,
0: absolutely wherever they are, absolutely, absolutely. Yep. Um, so. Speaking of burning it all down, so the thing about Second City is that uh, <laughs> that that I think is that the people care because um, even Did it catch a, on fire? It, it <laughs> did catch on fire. It did have a fire at one point. Kelly's yeah.
2: office
0: uh, burned. But uh, from the Mexican restaurant underneath. But, <laughs> oh, wow. but I think that the reason why we all care and want to talk about Second City is because there is so much still there uh, to love. You know, I think it's yeah. like, really unique in its academic approach to comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pro- one of the only places uh, that I can think of globally that has salaried performers who mm-hmm. get to write and perform through improv. I, I, you know, I think there is a fondness. So I don't, you know, I, otherwise I think it would have been burned down to the ground by now. <laughs> um, so mm-hmm. looking to the future, uh, you know, there's the things that we were speculating about in terms of the direction was like, is it going to make, or is Second City going move more into making digital content? Is, are training centers going to start appearing in cities across the country? Are theaters uh, gonna open? I don't know how much you can talk about with us, but <laughs> we'd love to know sort of where yeah. the potential lies in Second City moving forward.
2: Well, I think there's a lot of potential, um, but I, I, like, and, you know, there's nothing's off the table, but I think there's so much potential just right here in the city. Like, I think, you know, before we start talking about going off, it's like, how can we maximize the potential that we have here in Chicago? And what I mean by that is we have amazing traditions, some amazing shows that are historic and great in finding ways to get diverse talent into those shows but then at the same time saying hey why can't we do shows that are targeted for a different audience because that's that's only going to open the doors more for second city um i think one of the big things that i want to do is we we used to do a show um in uh dad's garage because our our dark side of the room um our dark side of the room show and it was one of my favorite things to do because dark side of the room is a um all black improv group Um, but we'd have these monthly shows where we would invite, um, a music, some musical guests. We brought, like, we had folks from the opera, we had some amazing cello players. We had just a variety of guests and we would do like improv at the beginning, let our guests do their thing and then do a long form set at the end. And what ended up happening was, you know, these musical guests that were, you know, black artists had their own following in a different section of town. Right? We'd invite them to dad's garage. They bring their audience. We do something that's specifically geared to this group of people. That group of people, for a lot of these folks, it was the first time they'd ever seen improv. And then they see people that look like them on stage doing improv. And then they're like, oh, man, this is really cool. How can I see more stuff? And then we were able to send them to our theater sports shows and our cage match shows and our other shows throughout the building. And suddenly we're looking at our audience kind of um, uh, diversifying um, because we gave people an entry point into the theater. And then once we introduced them to what we did in a way that is accessible to them, we could introduce them to the rest of the things that we do and see so many different things. And so doing those types of things, I think there's an opportunity to just tap into the Chicago audience. Even more so, because there's so many people in Chicago that have not come to Second City or don't think Second City is for them. And that's like when we talk about what are we doing the next six to six months to a year, that's the kind of programming that I'm interested in that I hope to kind of bring to Second City and really kind of take advantage of that.
0: That's great. How many stages are there currently? It's changed change all the time.
2: <laughs> yeah, uh, I think right now there are currently seven stages um, wow. at Second City that are kind of all spread out throughout the building. Um, but yeah, it's just I, I kind of taking advantage of that and leveraging that because it, it, I, I, the other part of that is like, how can we make Second City more ingrained into the general community, right? And be uh, something that not only is, a place where comedy and what we do works, but also be a place where we can support the community as a whole and finding ways to support the community. And I think that's going to be a fun, um, adventure as we move forward.
0: There's the 24 hour, uh, letters to Santa. Is that what it is? The, that, that's been like the community mm -hmm. event. Yeah. That's
2: been a really fun one.
0: Jeff Tweedy raises $30,000 by (laughs) volunteering to do a private concert. That always blows my mind. (laughs)
2: It's awesome.
0: Yeah, it's pretty great. He's very funny. He is very funny. He is. I have a
1: question. Yes, Elise. Uh, mm -hmm. (laughs) My question is because part of the speculation that we, part of the intense, detailed speculation (laughs) that we, that we, we're going through when we talked about the private equity firm buying Second City uh, was, you know, yeah, how are they gonna, if the private equity firms are around really to make a ton of money, right? We were hoping, yes, that Second City would come in and do and do community things, like give back to the community and whatnot, because you are Second City, or they are, the company is Second City. Um, but then, why private, like, it just, it just makes me wonder, like, what how is it possible <laughs> to make the money that one needs to make for a private equity firm? Not that you can answer this or that you have an answer to this, but it's just something mm-hmm. that is on my mind that I know we talked about. And I want to make sure that we tell you, honestly, this is what we talked about. Uh, we, yeah. ta- we wanted to know, like, how, are you, how is Second City going to make this amount of money that it needs to make uh, if it's working in a private equity way that we learned, right, from Stacy's brother especially? if it's gonna be just mostly helping the community, like it's that kind of balance between community service right. and making making that money.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, that's a great question. I, I think like, just you be honest and transparent, I think we absolutely wanna find ways to help the community, but it's also a business, mm-hmm. right? So it's not mm-hmm. that 100% of my time is going to be, you know, doing community events, but it's finding ways that we can do community events within the system that we're creating. And I think the second part of that is too, that like they're a private equity firm, but they're also um, fully aware of the situation and the, um, uh, I guess the environment that we're in right now. And they came in Mm -hmm. with this attitude of like the DEI work that Second City is doing, we want to continue that. And I think the other part of that is like, those two things aren't necessarily separate, right? So if I'm doing a show that's reaching Um, a new audience, whether it be a Hispanic audience, whether it be a black audience, that's a whole new group of paying customers that I'm bringing Mm -hmm. into this um, theater. And then suddenly I'm reaching a new audience and helping the overall goal. And I think the, uh, I think the thing to also recognize is like, we're also a theater that's gone through COVID. Like we've like every other theater Um, In America right now, this has been a difficult time and uh, been rough on us. And so there is a part of it that's just like we've been on a skeleton crew for the last year. Um, Mm -hmm. And the great thing about, you know, ZMC coming in, is like they don't have to come in here and slash budgets and cut jobs. COVID did that already. All they're coming in (laughs) to do now is help us rebuild get stronger, do more, um, because ultimately that's going to help them on their end, but it's also going to help Second City and it's going to help the community. And so everyone's really in a mindset of how can we build, how can we reach further, because it helps the holistic company um, move forward.
0: So when I was there, and this is a follow-up on Elise's question, which is a great question. Uh, you know, the the main stage was pretty much sold out in advance. Uh, I started doing shows, uh, they started doing house teams to do shows in the, gosh, the ballroom space so that mm-hmm. people who showed up and thought they could just get into Second City could buy a ticket and then go see this other show that was really just random. Uh, And usually those people were perfectly happy with that. Um, But it was really all sold out and ETC was always sold out. So even bringing in a new market, that's why I asked how many stages there are. Are you hoping to get to that level with the other stages? Because I don't see a lot of growth economically in theater spaces that were already selling out.
2: Well, I think, yes, like I think absolutely in the theaters, but also like, you know, there were, you know, I I don't know that the main stage was sold out every single night, but there's still like weeknights and like, right. you know, Tuesdays, Tuesdays and Wednesdays. So like, <laughs> so yeah, so there's, so there's a ton of opportunity in that space. There's a ton of opportunity on the other stages. There's a ton of opportunity in some of our smaller stages. And especially when we start getting a little bit more um, specific and intentional about the programming that we're putting in some of those other stages, we can kind of, uh create a situation where those other stages become a place that like has its own feel and vibe to it you know like that idea of like maybe there's a stage here in Second City that you know if you come to this stage it's a smaller than the main stage it's smaller than the ET see but you're going to see something cool and that you've never seen before and if you're a hardcore improv fan then you know regardless of what's happening on that stage there's going to be something there for you and so being really intentional about these other spaces to make sure that they're um, creating experience. Because ultimately what I want someone to do is be able to come into Second City, like stand in the middle of the lobby and see, okay, there's this kind of show here, there's this kind of show here, there's this kind of show here. I can come over and over and see some new and interesting things every time I come. Like a like a movie theater, but just different improv and different like a, like forms, a global different types of movie theater. You know? <laughs> like, <a, laughs> yeah,
3: right? like a global market. You know when you go to those global markets that have different Oh
1: um, yeah yeah.
0: yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and
0: like Wild and Out and and Whose Line are very different, right? The what? Yeah. different <laughs>
3: <laughs> uh, wait a minute! I didn't
0: notice. Nick <laughs> Cannon. No Nick Cannon. To this day, uh, I I did I hosted a show for uh, Nick Cannon at the comedy club. Most diverse audience I've ever seen at a show. It was a real like beautiful mix, and and all of them. We're not interested in watching me do stand up. <laughs> they were all just like, "You're not Nick Cannon. Where's Nick Cannon? Get Nick Cannon." <laughs> oh, great! Anyone else have other questions? Yeah, yeah, Joe. I-,
4: I have. I have kind of a two-parter. Um, so part one is. You know when you and I had talked John the there was a period of time as you were coming into this where they wanted you to just uh, you know tend to what's going on inside don't talk to anybody yet don't talk to you know anybody on the outside so part one is is there anything that we haven't talked about so far that you were ready to talk about uh, you know now that you can talk about stuff yeah. and then part two Part two is uh, more delicate, which is in your few months that you've come into Second City, has there been anything that's disappointed you that you've discovered um, that's either, you know, against an expectation that you had or just like a discovered disappointment?
2: Um, I, I think, so this is kind of two parts of it. I think the thing that has been, how do I want to say this? I think the thing that has been a little bit disappointing is uh I'll I'll back up I'll give you an example um so we one of the things that I'm
1: proud of and
2: happy about is we had a show called black and white news that we did online um that was really like I would I would describe it as if you're wondering what new second city is like that was the perfect example right because it's um it's an all bipoc show um it was And rather than it being this is second city and here is our bipoc show what we actually did was we found another improv group here in chicago called preach and so we're like let's partner together and put this show together so it's not just this is second city's black show it's also like how can we lift up another improv group and do that and then they did some really cool things in that they um like a lot of the show every show ended with like these are three black businesses in Chicago that you should look at supporting. Um, one of the episodes, um, we, uh, we had like a, a go me for a local black business that had just gotten, um, had some uh, damage done to them recently. And so like, it was such a cool show and experience. And then, you know, we do a couple of episodes and then I kind of like, uh, you know, I, I watch, I watch, I hear, you know, Comments and stuff like that and people talk about it and everything and then somebody was just like, you know, I just don't think second city will ever do a, a BIPOC show and I'm just like we literally did one two days ago. Like we it actually
4: happened. We're doing
2: it. And so um, it's it's one of those things where it's kind of like it's, it's exciting that we're doing the work. I just I, I hope that people are paying attention to the work that we're doing. And I think that's been the thing that's been struggling. is not just doing the work, but making sure that people are seeing the work that we're doing, that people are seeing what's happening. And so that, you know, we will, you know, Andrew wrote his letter and took responsibility for the issues that have happened in the past. And so I want us to also be able to say, we take responsibility for our actions, but also see the things that we're doing now um, and see the work that we're doing and help support that work. That's the only way that work happens is like, if we do, if we do these diverse shows, people still have to buy tickets for those diverse shows. People still have to like support those diverse shows so that we can continue to do that. And that's been kind of the the next level of like struggle is getting folks to not just see us by reputation, but actually look at the steps that we're taking to get us to this next level and help support us. And frankly, tell, tell the world about like some of the stuff that we're doing, because I'm really proud of not just the work we're going to do, but the work we've actually already done has been really, really cool, and I'm really proud of that.
0: That's great. And then was there? Months.
4: Yeah, three months. <laughs> yeah. And then was there like well, is there yeah. any in that realm of stuff where it's just like okay now I can talk now I want to uh, you know now I there's stuff I want to say like like what is that like what about the casts and what about the directors and what about the teachers yes. or
1: like yes. what, what about whatever tea? what is the tea? Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't I don't know that I don't know that there's tea as much as like um, it's so cool to look at like uh, like you, you take take, for example, um, uh, our senior leadership right now. You know, when you look at the five or four biggest positions at Second City, it's like our the president, the chief operating officer, the executive producer and the um, chief financial officers Two two out of four of those positions are BIPOC people. Like that's, that is crazy that Second City has that kind of representation and they're like top senior leadership. Um, The things I want to talk about is like the fact that we've had, every term we've given away uh, $10,000 in scholarships um, to to folks that are in financial need. Um, The amazing work that I've gotten to do, I've I've fallen in love with uh, Black Improv Alliance um is a great organization that i i really believe in and having to get into have second city work with the black improv alliance to help give away scholarships um to uh, their african american members like those i think those are kind of the little things that it's tough to make like a big announcement about those things but like there's a lot of those little moments where we kind of saw that and we're just like yeah we're doing little victories and it's like those little things time after time or how you kind of change a culture and it's always going to take time but the little victories that we've been able to celebrate as we've moved forward have been the things that I'm you know I'm excited that I'm actually um, getting a chance to um, be a part of that and do it and see it and be proud of it.
0: That's, I I just brought up what Velvet was saying of doing the work of repairing that trust alongside yeah. the new, it's just going to take time, right? You just got to keep doing the work it's, until people trust you again.
2: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Okay, and I I, and, I, and City, I,
0: I, obviously
2: a hundred percent and totally understand that. And I'm, and that's why I'm excited about when we get to do it. And, you know, I've, I've gone through and I've had to, I'm, I'm meeting with, you know, Trying to meet every single cast member one on one and have these conversations and listen to these folks and be available to as many people as I possibly can because we've got a lot of work to do, but we're willing to do the work. So,
0: and I and I do obviously as a woman who's been in improv for 22 years and you know have had the experiences that I have. I hope that that's you know a, a part of the equation. You know, I was in the directing program. Kelly Leonard looked right at all of us, casually, because this is 10 years ago, but not that long ago, right? And was like, I'll never hire a woman to direct the main stage, because every cast needs uh, an alpha male, and an alpha male will never listen to a woman director. And I think Anne said there was maybe one director in the 80s, one woman director in Chicago. I think Toronto has been a little more equitable. But, you know, that's that's so frustrating for for me that that was just a yeah. blanket statement and followed up by the fact that me and the other woman who were in the directing program, the producers didn't come see our final projects. They just didn't even come. So I'm a suck it up person. I come from that generation where I was just like, I just work harder. I'll just prove it. I'll just be undeniable. But if people don't even show up. Uh, so yeah. I hope that there's going to be. um some evolution in terms of representation in the stages that exist as well.
2: Oh, a hundred percent. I watch, uh, watch our, our next main stage show. Um, that's, that's, uh, I'll, I'll, I i can not make official announcements now, but you know, keep an eye on our next main stage show. Um, and uh, the thing I can say is, you know, uh, people have, have said that of like, how do you know Second City is going to, you know, continue along this line of DEI? Like, how do I know that it's not going to forget about it, or it's not going to get lost in the shuffle and all that kind of stuff? And here's the thing: there, I don't, I don't know uh, what the future holds. I can't tell you um, about everything that's going to be happening in the next five years. But the things that I do know is that five years from now, I will still be black, and I will still care about black people, and I will still care about Um, diversity because that is my life experience that is the thing that i have experienced myself i've got my own series of stories and experiences that is for another interview that we can talk through and so that part of it the reason i feel confident that this is going to be a thing that second city does for a while is because i won't i don't want any black performer to have had the same experiences that i have and um we're not going to be perfect we're not going to nail everything exactly right but we're going to fight tooth and nail to make sure that we can um create the safest possible situation that we can for our performers
0: That's awesome. And I know that I and and Joe, at least, like we want to support you at Second City in any way that we can. I don't know what I have to offer, but if anything I have, (laughs) I absolutely... Because I do think there's so much power there that if it were used for good, it would be fantastic. But it is hard when, you know, so... I read that uh, SNL, for example, said that they were donating for diversity scholarships and that they would audition anybody who got one of those diversity scholarships. Is that, was that true? Is that accurate?
2: Yeah, Yep, yeah, that's absolutely accurate. We actually had, we had tons of applications come in and we had, um, we had announced, I think it was last month, we announced the scholarship winners and the really cool thing about that is, like, that's a scholarship that's not just here's a class and we we'll are pay for this class, but that's a scholarship of, like, we're going to assess what you need from your for your career and then give you the classes, all of the classes that you need in order to get to that place where you can um, do the best job you can in that audition. So it's about preparing folks for that. And I think that's the other part of it. It's, like, it's not just putting people in places so you can check a box. It's also about setting up people for success and doing the things that are necessary to not just make you look good, but make sure that they're in a situation where they can have the best results for them personally. And that's one of the things I was excited about for that SNL scholarship was like, this is a scholarship that's there to set you up for that success.
0: That's great. It's awesome. I, I, I would love to see them extend that to dads and to huge in places that have already supported DEI efforts for a lot longer. I think that would be amazing and, and not only would that give more opportunity uh, to marginalize people but I think it would decentralize some of that power that it gives Second City. So here we are trying to change and yet now there's this huge carrot. The carrot that makes Mm -hmm. people endure and that makes people afraid to speak up and be kicked out, right? So your work's even harder now to make people feel safe enough when they have so much at stake.
1: Uh, Yeah, now something that they really want is in a place that they haven't really known to trust uh, up until now.
2: Well, and I think the other part of, but I and I'll just say this: I think the other part of that is also having to redefine success, right? Like, I don't think, I don't, I think it's, it's crazy for us to say, um, if you want to get on uh, SNL, you have to come to second city. Well, number one, Mm -hmm. there have been a number of second, uh, cast members in SNL that never came to second city. But the other part of that is like, when you talk about improv and performance, uh, it's so much more than get me on a TV show, right? Um, and I think one of the things that I want to look at is redefining what it means to be a successful Second City cast member, right? Because there are some that went on got TV shows and went on SNL 100%. But there are some that went on, and improv helped them have confidence in themselves, and they wrote a book. Improv helped them um, be able to communicate, and they went back to their normal engineering job, and they're better at their engineering job. That they came to Second City and um, they they wanted to do that with their spouse. And because they learned to yes and each other, they're a better couple. Like, there are so many more definitions of success at Second City beyond I got a TV show. And I think for me, one of the things I want to look at is how can we celebrate um, those diff- those other versions of success and say, those are equally valid as getting a TV show because here's the thing: the entertainment industry is um, there's there's so many variables to it. There, I think anybody that says I can guarantee you a spot or if you do this you'll get this, like that's crazy. That's insane. That is unrealistic. Yeah. Um, yep. But the perception but of power.
0: Say, sorry, go ahead. You finish mm-hmm.
2: and then I'll. Oh no no go ahead go ahead.
0: Just I think that no matter what we say, you know, even my little theater in Portland, the perception of power that I have, I had to adjust my perception of my power <laughs> to, yeah. to see that other people perceive me having much more power over them and their happiness and their lives and their mm-hmm. success uh, on one hand. And on the other hand, yeah, the celebration part. When you walk into a Second City, uh, it's you don't see giant blown up pictures of the engineer. You don't see, you know, <laughs> you know the arts administrator who saved yeah. an organization. Mm-hmm. You see Stephanie Weir and you see Steve Carell or Steve Colbert. Right.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. And like that's that's absolutely a part of our history. But I think there's a lot of other ways to celebrate different types of people. And I think that's about, cause again, it's not, I don't want to destroy the history of second. I don't want to get rid of it. Like it's an amazing history and it's amazing. People have come through it, but I think there's also just finding other unique ways to celebrate uh, the variety of success and the variety of, um, of uh, winning at life that, you know, comes in that we don't have to narrowly define it.
0: It'll be interesting to see that evolve because I do think that's a core tenant of Second City in terms of its marketing and its perception as a brand is uh, you come see no names now because they're going to be famous tomorrow. You're you're Mm -hmm. seeing the stars of tomorrow, whereas here, you know, I have to be like, you're going to come see local improvisers. (laughs) <laughs> that, that are also amazing engineers. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't have that hook. Uh, but yeah, we're already hitting an hour. So I just want to ask, Stephanie Ray posted a, a question here that that I'd love to just touch on before we take off. And she is asking, go up uh, one more, one more. Uh, she was asking, how do we change the perception that there is improv and then there's niche improv? You know, and that improv is the white based white male based improv. And then everything else is the the niche. So if, for example, I would say this would play out at Second City where uh, it's a more white dominated main stage or ETC. And then there's the smaller Mm -hmm. stage for the BIPOC show.
2: Yeah. No, I think the way that you do that is you just do more shows. I mean, it's only niche if you do the show once a year, right. Um, But if it's a if it's a consistent uh, practice of having different variety of shows, it doesn't feel like it's 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 the same as like improv or long form versus short form, right? A the only reason a certain we don't see long form as a niche is because there's plenty of long form out there. The only reason we don't see short form as a niche is because there's plenty of short form out there. So it's up to us to make sure that, you know, we don't see BIPOC shows and improv as a niche by putting out a number of different BIPOC shows. The The way we don't say LGBTQ shows are a niche is we put out multiple different types and different versions and different opportunities and different things so that we can, um, take away that stigma of it. But I think that's one of the unique things about Second City is, you know, because we have the spaces and the stages, we can do that. And I think the other part of that is like, we there's this improv, we have this thing in our head that like, you know, this stage means something and this stage doesn't mean this and this stage means that and that sort of thing. And it's that idea of like, Why can't we just take the stage that we, the different stages and say, how can I use this stage to the best of its ability? Why can't, why can't, there are certain shows that I've seen that have been small, little, Mark Kendall used to do this midnight show. That was great. It was always after midnight and the rule, the rule was you couldn't advertise it, couldn't take pictures, couldn't do anything. The only way you could know about that show was that another person in the arts industry or an improviser told you about that show. And what it did was it created this audience of people that were improvisers that were there. And it was such a different feel and it was smaller and it was in the smallest stage at dad's garage. But every single time the room was packed wall to wall with people expecting and excited about seeing the show. And I think that's where we have to get to is like, how can we make, take all of those stages, take all the stuff that Second City does and say, let's do some unique things on here and do some really cool things that, regardless of the size of the stage, will blow up in a big way. And that's the thing that I'm excited about.
0: That's awesome. John Gebertatius, you also talk about, you know, making, not being like, oh, I just got a Tuesday night, but like, <laughs> I got a Tuesday night. How do I make this Tuesday night a killer night?
3: Do you want yeah, to- yeah, I mean... Yeah, absolutely. Um, you gotta have, you gotta have pride in the show versus whatever time slot it's in or the physical location. You should be should be concerned with that i think
0: that's i think Uh, improvisers more than like stand-ups have an understanding that whatever room you're in has a different character and a feel and it's part of your job as a stand-up to learn how to play in each room and it's actually a part of it is to try to play in as many different rooms and i i do find improvisers have this ranking in their head and they're like (laughs) unless i'm on that night on that Mm -hmm. stage in front of that crowd in that show (laughs) i'm lesser or i I've been communicated yeah. to as if I am lesser. And I don't know, yeah. can we do anything about that? Yeah, Elise, go ahead.
1: Can I say, I I, I, I love Stephanie's question, um, who is affiliated with the Black Improvianian. <laughs> Shout out, Stephanie, thank you. Yes. Um, uh, and John's answer, yes, co-founder, and John's answer together, it made me think of the idea that, um, yes, it should be a goal to not have to have improv just be improv and just be what it is, the act of a verb, whatever we're calling it. Um, but at the same time, like, yeah, having a lot of BIPOC shows, great. Having a lot of LGBTQIA shows, great. But also being very well aware that we if we right now in this moment and for the next period of time see one show in a theater with a bunch of cis straight white men, it's a wrap. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's a matter of, like, it's a matter of of yes, not calling them niche shows, but also making the main shows not be straight white men. Like making them diverse shows, so that that now becomes the norm. And then maybe having a niche show is not so is not so like oh, we're doing this because of diver- We're checking the diversity box, right? It's mm-hmm. like make normalize your main state your main stage. I know we're talking about changing stages, uh, mm-hmm. changing names for that stuff, but uh, normalizing what what we're putting a spotlight on and making sure that that is always diverse and it's always representative.
3: Can I add to that, what you just said, Elise? Because yeah. that's, that's powerful. Of course you can, John. I don't, uh, okay, thanks. Uh, uh, I just, um, I don't know, uh, like the full, I know, like that's, where am I starting? I want to get to, where am I getting to? <laughs> um, basically, here it is. A lot of times, um, we look at um, situations and go, oh, there is a process that 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 process looks like it's going to be foolproof and they'll be able to distill it down and we can actually see it in real time. Um, but that's not the case for because institutions are just people. You look at jury selections, right? Jury selections that are happening all the time. You're like, oh, wow, there's there's got to be cool ways to kind of filter it out and we'll make sure it's going to be, you know, just nice and balanced. It'll be unbiased. Right. But nine out of 10 times you look at it and it somehow always boils down to being leaning in a certain way, you know? And it's, and so I guess knowing that in mind and also in real time, John Carr is like taking on this, you know, new responsibility And like, also let's not forget the context. A black man is taking on second city, a historically white institution that has political comedy in its nature, I will say They may not say that, but I feel it has some, you know, it's political in nature. Um, And so how can we um, support and at the same time know that we don't trust systems, but we want to support the vision? Because it's clear as day that we as an improv and comedy community want to go to Second City and maybe just buy a ticket, watch an all-PLC main stage show. We want that to happen. Mm -hmm. We know that's going to take time, but we also feel that, well... any minute now we'll get an excuse that, you know, X, Y, Z didn't happen or what have you. And I think, um, I just want to say like, how is a great question. My only answer that I always have in my head is how do we get more John Cars in there, right? Like how do we get more people? So that system isn't filled with others that are trying to weed out. Like so my question then is like how is John Carr getting more people who are BIPOC, you know, more women, you know, more trans folk in these positions yeah. to kind of help in terms of curating shows. Cause I know for one thing, you get one straight white male there and you'll have a hundred nine that think somehow still somehow some way. And uh, you know, things can buckle. Yeah. I'll say that. So I don't know if that asks you yeah. this, but I hope it did.
1: I Did think you, it was perfect.
0: Yeah. Did you <laughs> want to respond to, to to that, John Carr?
2: I mean, it's a, I I I agree. Like, I would like to see more John Cars everywhere in the world. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, <laughs> I think we
0: all would. We I, all would. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, so. but I
2: think here's here's the thing. I, I I'll, I'll say this. I think I I don't want to. I what I don't want to position myself as is the back black savior of second city. Like that's, that's too much right. pressure. Um, right. I, I don't, I don't know if you've studied black leaders throughout history, but it doesn't end well for them. So like, yeah. there's a, there's a level of like, mm-hmm. I want to, I want to keep the expectations realistic in mm-hmm. that, like we're, we're human beings working to do this. Are we going to mess up? Yes. A hundred percent. There's all, there's going to be mistakes along the way. We're going to do the wrong thing. We're going to communicate in a poor way. Those things are going to happen. And so what I say all that to say, like the expectation can't be, oh, second city messed up again. It's the same thing. It's like, I can't, I can't promise perfection. That's not something that's in my wheelhouse. But what I can promise is a consistent, if you're watching and paying attention to what we're actually doing. Is consistently seeing that needle being moved. Consistently seeing those things. Because the other part of it is, mm-hmm. and I want to I want to say this right. I care more about people of color than I do about making other people think I care about people of color. Right. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. what that how that translates is, it's not me throwing uh, an improviser who's been doing improv for six months into a main stage show to say, ah, look, we're diverse. And then that person is flailing and having a horrible time because they're not prepared in any way to be there. I would rather spend the time to set that person up uh, to do, to get on that main stage and to kill it and to do a great job. And it's gonna take me longer to do that. And it's gonna be a lot more of like, why isn't John Carr moving faster? And I'm going to be like, because I want this person to succeed, not to stop you from making a comment online. And that's, Mm -hmm. that's what's the important thing to me. And so I'm going to take the time that I need with my performers of color to give them every single tool so that if next year I'm no longer in this position, they have the tools that will last them for the rest of their life. And they're set up for success for the rest of their life versus I need to make sure that we don't get any bad comments, so I'm gonna throw someone in a place that they are not prepared to be in. And I think that's an important piece of that.
0: That's beautiful, that's great. It's a great place to start really wrapping it up. is that. That's what I feel like when they're, the whole thing about a woman director came from a bad experience, right? It came from mm-hmm. a, a woman directing in Northwest Second City Suburb show and, Dave Kehrner being in that cast, and <laughs> uh, and no one getting her back. Right, him having more power uh, than than she did, and that's where the system has to be there to get the back of the people who are wanting that change and progression. And I, 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 I just want to reiterate a couple of things I heard you say, John, which is that. Uh, patience is something that we're going to have to try to exercise while you're doing this work so you can do it in a more lasting and a effective way uh, mm-hmm. and, and also giving credit where where it is due and and being aware because a lot of people have said to me oh you know the city should have a program for this or that and i'm like they do like (laughs) that's how we got our (laughs) space like those things exist and you know what's (laughs) happening and especially for people of color something that's been happening so i'm in you know curious is in a building that was for women and people of color small business owners you know all all, we each own the space that we but we have to occupy the space and uh people didn't support those businesses Right. Mm -hmm. So so they got set up and they got there and they opened their doors and nobody came. And so I do want to just appeal to everybody here, not just at Second City, uh, but everywhere, you know, make sure that you are supporting the efforts that are being made by frequenting those things. And I Mm -hmm. think something that makes something niche is when someone goes, that's not for me. So I'm not going. That's a very external thing. Yeah.
2: Yeah, can I tell this a quick story? Sorry, yeah. I know we're yeah. almost out of time. Quick okay. story. Um, so, when I was at Dad's Garage, um, I wrote a play called Black Nerd that was really about my experiences in the world. And uh, we had had a lot of people say, like, Dad's Garage should be doing more diverse shows. So, when we put out the advertisement for that, it was one of the most liked, most shared trailers in Dad's Garage history. Like, it blew up online. And at the time, I was also the marketing director, which is the worst thing in the world to do if you're also the playwright for a play at the theater and you're the marketing director (laughs) because you have to read all the comics. You see all the stats. It is a nightmare. Um, But we had, it was one of the most shared videos, the trailer for that play. It was one of the most liked videos. We've had like we got comments on how much people love the poster for the play and we opened up for previews and it holds the record for the least amount of tickets sold for a preview. And what we saw happening was, uh, and I'll get specific here. We saw a lot of white people that were just like, yeah, diversity, go dance barrage. Finally, you're doing it. Awesome. You're going to do a play. Great. I want to tell my black friend about this because that's really for them. Uh, cool, you guys are doing it. Likes and you know, like no, 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 no. I need you to buy a ticket for the play. Um, I need you to actually take the action of supporting it. Versus, I feel really woke because I shared this black thing on my Facebook page. That's not activism. That's social media, and there's a difference. And so, for me, I think that's the big thing. Is like, all right, we've we've talked about it. We've said it awesome now let's put some action behind it and actually go out and support the change that we want to see
0: absolutely go
3: ahead Stacey, are you wrapping it up stacy no, i don't you know, go I, don't ahead, know john. I know you're gonna
0: oh. you, uh, you go ahead That's
3: i good. i also yeah i don't know how much time we got left but i just want to ask everybody here but you know john i want to ask what i want to ask you what are you curious about or do you have any questions obviously from for any of us here secondly what do you need Right. Like what is, uh, you know, you know, what is the thing you need?
2: Yeah. Um, You know, I I don't know if we have uh, time for all the questions I have for all of you. Um, I think you all are great and amazing. And I'm super honored to be on this show. And I've got the chance to see it a couple of times. And you guys rock. And I'm super glad there's just a platform that we can talk to the improv community on. And so I I appreciate that. Um, the thing that I need is the same thing I need from everybody is like, well, we're going to put out newsletters, we're going to put out social media posts, we're going to put out stuff as we start announcing new programs, new initiatives, new things, just keep an eye on it and watch and when you judge Second City, judge it based on what we're doing, not what your what the reputation is or what you heard from a friend or that judges based on what we're doing. And that's all I can really ask from anyone. Mm.
0: Mm-hmm. I think that's great. I think that's a great place to to end it. I know there were some questions about, you know, what to do in smaller markets like ours where we still need to Bring in the talent to create those shows, mm-hmm. right? Going from uh, mostly white to how do we make people feel welcome? I would love to have that co- uh, an entire show on that topic another time because I know all follow like,
4: up show in two weeks. Yes,
0: for sure. So we will put that on our list. It always helps when people suggest things too, because uh, I could talk about anything and everything right. about improv forever. But um, yeah, I think you know we get to the point where the criticism's been said. It's been heard, action's been taken, and now we need to both leave some space and time and uh, reality to to support you as those changes get made, but also you know, stay, stay accountable. I know, I know John G is going to be down there. He's going to hold you accountable, or he's going yeah. to right. burn it all down. He's going to burn it all down if it doesn't happen. What? So. <laughs> <What>? <laughs>
1: We're going to come what? with you. We all talked about it. What is it's a I, got, you know? I got mad matches. Don't worry about it. I got all the matches. What is but One it is,
0: right? Man. You got to leave room, but you also have to stay accountable. That's all I'm saying. You know, keep people yep. accountable, but give them some space to grow and change and evolve. And I yeah. think that we're going to do that for you, and we want to help you as much as we can. Thank you, John Carr, for being here. Yep. It's awesome to get to know yep. you, chat with you. Thank you, Joe, yeah. and Elise, yeah. and John G, and John Tim back here doing all the tech. And Elise John mean? Rodriguez. Hey, driguez it's so too John many. Rodriguez. yeah <laughs> all right everybody well let's let's all get together and talk again sometime uh good luck right. with everything everybody audience